arrived. It's the nighttime show. Uh, with us always is our uh, uh, red-headed and uh, uh, starry-eyed producer, Matt Walker. Matt Walker is here. Uh, I, of course, am your uh, host, Stephen Kramer Glickman. But our guest today, best known for his work in the film Colossus, of course, uh, the show Rat Pack under the film Planet of the Rat Apes. Patrol. Rat, Rat Patrol. Rat Patrol. What did I say? Rat Pack. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Let me do it again. Absolutely unforgivable. <laughs> tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps <laughs> in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by Trump. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's so great. Uh, you also know him from Planet of the Apes. Full uh, of sound and fury, signifying back. nothing. And, of course, my favorite film of all time. One of my favorite films. I've seen it more times than I can count. Titanic. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Braden. We've got Eric Braden today. Ooh. Oh, my God. The most eloquent man this side of the Mississippi. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's performing so. Shakespeare for us. Performing Shakespeare. We're in his living room. His living room. We, we've seen some amazing. We, we went to Paul Servino's house and he sang opera to us while cooking his lunch. We come here and Eric Braden's doing Shakespeare this for us. Is, this is amazing this what we is get to do on this show. Outrageous. This is your kind of profession. Yes, this is what we want. Are you are you grateful every day you wake up? Every day, wonderful. You bet. I'm very happy. He's surprised every day he wakes up. I'm surprised every day he wakes up again. I wake up. I go again. We are not sitting outside because we have those damn leaf blowers. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. And you know, I've always fantasized about the opening of a film where you line up all the gardeners (laughs) on PCH (laughs) on Sunset Boulevard all the way to downtown, Mm -hmm. and you strap those leaf blowers to their asses. (laughs) <laughs> and then he said, gentlemen, start your engines. And they all go, shh. <laughs> Flying off. Flying off. <laughs> you, got this, you got this beautiful home. We're uh, sitting up here in this beautiful uh, area. And then and we step outside and it's just this. Uh, this cacophony. This cacophony of sound. Yes, ear deafening cacophony. Yeah. And now that's got to be, is that every day? Is that every well, day? Well, that here? is, uh, you know, I, I got a number of people together about, about five, six years ago. We were 200, we went down to city council meetings and uh, we turned the damn thing on. <laughs> and I said, why are you ladies and gentlemen discussing lofty issues? We have to listen to this cacophony. And I had one of the guys turn on one of those damn machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, That's uh, two years later, one or two years later, they outlawed leaf blowers mm-hmm. in all of LA, mm-hmm. but there's no one to enforce the law. Oh, yeah. man. It's a it's a hell of a world we live in. It is an extraordinary <laughs> world. I mean, that is obviously the major problem. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. It is probably the you biggest know. of all problems. I would say it's absolutely imperative that we solve that before we get to any other issues. Never mind tariffs, Chinese tariffs, or NAFTA, <laughs> or. Leaf IMF first. or NATO, all meaningless, all secondary. Yes. <laughs> Leaf blowers are the issue of the day. <laughs> uh, That's uh, fantastic. Um, yeah. Okay, so I, I'm going to start by just talking about this real quick. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this table. We're, we have this table of, of little uh, kitschy things and, and, and things that you have, but some of these uh, things look like they're from something they look like they're uh, they're meaningful to you they're they're interesting looking they're things. meaningful they're what, meaning- what am i looking at there's a there's a knife here there's a, there's a dagger a dagger uh, there's Where is an this ancient dagger probably from kyrgyzstan okay or tajikistan i'm not one of the stands wow 
in case someone tries to burglarize my home. <laughs> my wife provided these weapons for me. Oh, wow. Okay? We are well protected. Uh, where Did you pick this up somewhere, or did she pick this are up? Are you kidding me or what? Yeah, no, no, no. And then there's this bone. No. There's this bone. The bone is, is, is from one of my forefathers. Oh. Okay. Centuries ago. <laughs> you know? Did you dig it up yourself? Yes, 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 yes. Exactly. I had it buried... I just uh-huh. love it when you're in someone's home and you start looking around. You see, you you start seeing little things. You're like, like, like for example, you have a a a, a candle like um, mount to the wall. What is it? What would you call this? That was from the tent of Attila the Hun. <laughs> candelabra. A he candelabra. Had, attached had, to the wall. He had one wooden post, and he that's the candelabra <laughs> was on that wooden post. It lit his the interior of his tent. It's a snake. It's like a cobra snake. Yes. That's cool. That's. Yeah. That it's awesome. You just have a very cool. Anyway, place. my wife is responsible for it all. I love it. I yes, love it. She has an eclectic taste and wonderful taste. Where's your I wife from? From here. Okay. Yeah. Because you're from Germany originally. I'm right? from Germany originally. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, Matt, so, do you now you were a soccer player in your youth. I played uh, soccer, and no, in my youth I was in track and field. Oh, okay, track and field. I won the German championship in in javelin, discus, and shot put as wow. a youth. As a 17-year-old. That's amazing. And uh, then here with the Maccabees in 1973, mm-hmm. we won the U.S. Championship in soccer. Oh yeah, because my, gosh, no, my, uh, no, no, my father... Yeah. I was the token German. Uh, on, my father used to love to watch the noon news on Channel 2, and he would uh, always turn it on about 10 minutes early, uh, and he would see you on the television screen, uh, and I'd be over there, and he always tell me a story about how he knew you Really? Back when you were a soccer player named Hans Gudegast. Yes, exactly. Because my father was president of the Greater Los Angeles Soccer League in the 1960s. No. And he brought your team over from Germany back no then a couple no, times. No, 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 no. I was, no, no. Um, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I joined the Maccabees here. Or it might have been here, yeah. Yes. And let me tell you a little bit of LA history. Mm-hmm. I was a busboy in a restaurant called La Scala. Mm-hmm. On Beverly Drive in sure. Santa Monica, the old La Scala, yeah. owned by Jean Leon, wow. a little Napoleonic fellow from the Pyrenees, I mean, <laughs> past countries. Wonderful man. And he was a soccer uh, aficionado. Mm-hmm. And Dan Tanner from Dan Tanner's yeah. really? was the head waiter. And they had a soccer team and sort of an eclectic group of mm-hmm. professionals from uh, Germany, from uh, South America, from England, from etc. And I applied to play on the team. Okay. We paid $15 a game. <laughs> and then I was offered the position of a busboy at the restaurant, close to the kitchen, because I was always hungry. <laughs> and uh, I had little notion of who was who in Hollywood, but they were all there. And um, so from that team folded, after they had invited Real Madrid to come over mm-hmm. here to play in the Coliseum, and against us. We lost nine to nothing. And Real Madrid was the New York Yankees of, yeah. of soccer. Sure. And after that, a guy who carried the buckets for that team was Joe Schwartz, Hungarian Jewish fellow. Mm-hmm. And he said to me and another German, boys, do you want to come play for another team? And that team were the Maccabees. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here I was, the token German. <laughs> on a Jewish team. Mm-hmm. I love it. We had seven Israeli players from yeah. Israel, from the Israeli first division. And um, uh, two from the Ethiopian national team, and two Brazilians, and great Mexican from the first division, etc. So mm-hmm. we won the U.S. championship in 1973. Wow! Yeah, 
Oh my gosh. That's right. That's so incredible. during the week, I played Nazis on television <laughs> in a series called The Rat Patrol. Yeah, sure. And on Sundays, I wore the Star of David. Mm-hmm. Wow. To the confusion of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one Croatian player. I played right fullback, and mm-hmm. I was pretty ruthless. And he was on the ground. He says, you fucking Nazi, you fucking Jew. <laughs> I said, make up your mind, you moron. Which is it? <laughs> <laughs> can't be both. You can't be both. You got to pick a side. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty right. sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, oh, my gosh. The, when you came here to Los Angeles, was it to pursue acting? Is that what you knew you wanted to do, and that's why you came here? Not really. No, there was always sort of a distant, um, I must say, the things that impressed me the most when I grew up, obviously, uh, sports and sports heroes. And then I saw a play, a German dramatic play by Schiller, and later on I saw Hamlet, and then later on I saw Marlon Brando and Julius Caesar. We all had to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, they played it in, in the original language. And I was very impressed by that. And I worked later on with Brando in a film called Mori Tori, mm-hmm. wow. 1964-65. And um, so I came, I was first at the University of Montana on a scholarship in track and field. And I stayed there for a year. But they only paid tuition. They didn't pay my, my living. Oh, no room and board. No, okay. no room and board. So I had to earn a living yeah. from 6 to 2 in the morning in a lumber mill outside of Missoula, Montana. Wow. Where you pulled... You pulled boards all yeah. night from 6 to 2 in the morning. And I thought, did I make the right decision? <laughs> here? So long story short, I was then offered, it gets too complicated, uh, to go up and down the Salmon River in Idaho, mm-hmm. the river of no return. And I was the first one with someone else to go up and down the river. Why would they call it the river of no return? Because no one had ever returned. <laughs> really? No. And they, we started in Lewiston and Clarkson on the Snake River. Mm-hmm. Had a meeting with the Chamber of Commerce. I was just 19, 18, 19. And they said, do you boys know what you're getting into? I said, I have no clue and don't <laughs> care. Anything to get out of Montana at that yeah. time. And the upshot was, if we made this trip and made a documentary successfully, we would come to California. I said, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Anything to look forward to sunshine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I heard wonderful things about California. Anyway, uh, long story short, we made it, made the documentary, and came here. And that's how I landed in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So how did you start acting then? I didn't know soul. Started parking cars on La Cienega Boulevard. And I looked at the, some of the restaurants. I said, what are these kids scurrying up and down driving all these beautiful cars? You know, customers would come in. They mm-hmm. would open the door. And then they get in the car and they drive them. And I was, I loved driving cars. At that time, I was all into cars. So I applied for a job. Dollar twenty-five an hour. On La Cienega. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rolls Royces, Ferraris, Maseratis. I shit. I said, this is fantastic. Dollar twenty-five an hour. And there was a guy, the head parking attendant would stand at the door. If we got a tip for being very polite and very prompt, we had to give the tip to that head parking guy. We only got dollar twenty-five an hour. I said, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. This is no good. Yeah, I th- I'm just just to be clear, I think today they've got up a whole dollar. So <laughs> yes. Two twenty-five an hour. Yes. Two twenty-five. Yes. Yeah. So then I worked for Beacons Moving Furniture mm-hmm. because they paid six or seven dollars an hour, and I was strong, mm-hmm. and so I learned how to curse doing that job. I was with an old crotchety American guy. Mm-hmm. We were carrying up the refrigerator up a lady's apartment building in West LA 
and I was holding on to the bottom of the fridge, and he held on to the top, and she was bitching. She says, don't touch this, and don't touch that. And, that. and he said, lady, will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> and I said, that sounds fascinating. That, is, that sounds great. Wonderful customer service back yeah. then. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so, so I love it. And, and I, I said, wait a minute. He's turning the verb to fuck into a noun. And I tried to translate it into German, but it didn't work. <laughs> so, but I loved it, the sound of it. Mm-hmm. I love American uh, curse words. I just love it. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and then I went back to parking and uh, ran into the Kona agency. Uh, they needed a lot of Germans to play in a lot of uh, series about the Second World War. Mm. And uh, that's how that all started. My first film role was a film called Operation Eichmann. They had caught Adolf Eichmann in Argentina, mm-hmm. and they made a film of it. And Werner Klemperer from Hogan's Heroes, who played Colonel Schultz, mm-hmm. played Eichmann. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and I played, really? uh, I played his assistant. So was it a serious movie or was no, it a comedy? Was, well, well, it was a badly done movie. Okay. <laughs> a serious movie, but very badly done. So you it's funny, those, but not on purpose. One of those B-exploitation yeah. movies. Horrible. Uh, I got a, I got a fun uh, little quick story for you. My uh, my mom, when she was a little kid, she was probably about uh, 12, uh, 12 or 13, she went to uh, the set of Hogan's Heroes. They were doing a tour, mm-hmm. part of a tour, uh-huh. and they were, you know, here in California, and they, were, they went to the set of Hogan's Heroes, and when the tour continued on she stayed behind uh-huh. and then she hid under a blanket so that she could watch uh her favorite show hogan's heroes That's being hilarious. shot and so she was hiding under a blanket and they did okay let's do a little test run and then the guy ran around and he was getting shot at and so mm-hmm. they had uh you know the they were like okay we, you know we're gonna have a you know smoke thing go off here a little explosion here a little explosion uh. here but they didn't actually do the explosions yeah. And then they were like, okay, now we're going to do it like, uh, you know, for real. Everyone be quiet and be ready and action. And then the guy ran through and all the explosions went off on the set. And my mom started screaming. Oh, boy. And they had to call cut and then found her like hiding in the wardrobe. (laughs) And then they kicked her out. And Sergeant Sergeant Schultz said, I know nothing. (laughs) I know nothing. I see nothing. (laughs) That's incredible. Did you, um, did you do, um, like, t- did you jump into TV at some point in the early yeah, right years? Then. Or? Right then. So and, uh, what, what were you doing in TV? I did uh, with a rap patrol. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my first one was in combat. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. And the very first one was a, a series called Gallant Men at Warner Brothers mm-hmm. with Roland Lastaza. That impressed me because he was a heavyweight boxer. And he had fought against Marciano. Oh, wow. And that impressed me. Yeah. Actors have never impressed me. None of that has impressed me. Sure. But athletes who have accomplished things on that level, mm-hmm. that has always impressed me. So, um, so your favorite actor, The Rock? Is that? Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, no, because that's not. all bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very true. Anyway, uh, but he's a he's a good man. Yes. What are you talking about? You talk about the who are you talking the, about? the wrestler. Yeah. No, he's a good man. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about him. So. Yeah, he's a very yeah. nice man, apparently. <laughs> and um, um, he's very big, so no matter what he says, he's a very nice he's man. A, he's yes. a big man. Anyway, yes, yes. of course. Go on. Mm-hmm. So um, you're doing you're doing uh, Rap Patrol, and you're doing these these different shows. Combat, uh, combat. Mm-hmm. These are big shows. Um, what what do you feel like is the the big break? What what comes along that goes? Oh man, now. Mm-hmm. 
now we're now we're cooking. I had done uh, two or three Mission Impossibles, mm-hmm. and in one I played a Russian spy who quoted Shakespeare and kissed Barbara Bain for the first time. <laughs> wow! First guy yeah. to ever kiss Barbara Bain. Oh, Mission wow. Impossible. So, a producer from Broadway, George Schaefer, saw that segment and flew out here and asked if I wanted to play the son of Kurt Jürgens, who was a big German actor who played in Enemy Below with Robert Mitchum. And this was about a Broadway play and to take place at the Eugene O'Neill Theater on 49th and Broadway with Geraldine Page. And if I wanted to play his son, Sure. And I said, yep. So they flew me out there, and I read in the theater. Mm -hmm. And I always, when I had cold readings, if it didn't work the first time, I said, let's do it again. And I took over the reading. Mm -hmm. And that is essential very often. Because if you put yourself in the passive position of having to be dictated by Whoever reads with you, or producers, or directors, sure, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah. you have no control. You need no. You have no control. You need to take over situation and control it. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, so, an hour later, they called and said, "We would like you to um, do this Broadway play." But I'd opened uh, at the Santa Monica Playhouse on Fourth and Wilshire. I opened it with a guy called Ted Roder and Norbert Mizell. And my first play was a one-act play by Tennessee Williams called The Lady of Larkspur Lotion. I played a drunk writer. And the moment I did, I loved it. And then I played another, I played The Prince of Wales in a play by Jean-Paul Sartre Mm -hmm. called Keen. And so those two plays made me decide that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an actor. Wow. Hey, Matt, before we continue this show, we really have something big that we have to announce. Mm-hmm. I have to announce it right now. Okay. It's a big deal. 2020 is a very exciting year. It's a big, it's a big year, buddy, mm-hmm. because it's the 75th anniversary. Uh, of what? 75 years old. Who's 75? I'll tell you who's 75. It, it, it's not William Shatner. No. It's not George Takei. No. It's not Leonard Nimoy. It's Sennheiser. Sennheiser. Oh. Sennheiser, the microphone uh, and audio company, the, the company that provides our amazing microphones and our incredible headphones that makes us sound so incredibly Yeah, amazing. we just got a whole new setup, these MD42 oh. microphones, the HD25 headphones. Oh, these things I are love awesome. Them. I love them. And these guys, they're the top. This is top-tier microphones, top-tier headphones. If you are looking for uh, audio equipment, if you are a a singer songwriter if you're a, a voiceover actor if you're if you're trying to get into the podcast game Sennheiser is the way to go if you're an audio engineer don't go anywhere else go straight to Sennheiser if you have someone in your life that loves audio this is the place to do it Sennheiser's the way to go uh, go to Sennheiser.com that's S-E-N-N-H-E-I-S-E-R.com and uh, all right let's get back to the show now, living in New York City in, uh, I- I- during that time? 65. What, what was New York like during that time? Great city. It's a yeah. great city. It's an exciting city, primarily when you do a play on Broadway. Yeah. You're invited everywhere. And I mean, it's, it's Where were you living at the time? In a, a small hotel. I forget what the hotel was called. I forget what the hotel was called. Small hole in the wall, you know? And it's cha- New York has changed so much, though, from that, yeah. that time till now. It's yeah. I it, remember visiting New York City uh, when I was about 
16, 15, 16 years uh-huh. old mm-hmm. and and like walking through Times Square and there's just, there's just prostitutes in the street and, and guys with, with those briefcases full of fake watches and, <laughs> and the whole, and like that being like a very, I remember Times Square being a very dirty and right. rough, uh, you right. know, grungy place. And now it's like, you know, tourist yeah. central. Crystal, yeah, crystal clean. Clean. But I, I remember after the, the opening of that play, mm-hmm. so arguably one of the scariest moments in my life, I would say. Please. When you open as an actor on Broadway, you may know, mm-hmm. it is scary time. Sure. And I made the egregious mistake of opening the curtain a little bit and watching them as they mm-hmm. came into the theater. Tennessee Williams. I think Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft were there, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Sure. Kirk Douglas. Amazing. A number of people I recognized. Lee Strasberg, all those people there. I said, holy oh, shit. shit, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. I turned around and literally entertained the notion of opening the stage door <laughs> and escaping to mm-hmm. the night of New York. I said, no one here knows me. To hell with it. Yeah. I mm-hmm. just disappear. An understudy will take over. I just literally, I mm-hmm. thought so. Totally. I so it. I ran up and down the stairs into my dressing room. And I asked the guy who shared the dressing room with me, uh, do you have any brandy? A little bit. Yeah, son, I got some brandy. <laughs> and I drank half a bottle of brandy. Didn't do a damn thing. Didn't make a dent. <laughs> wow. Because I was in soccer shape. Yeah. So I ran up and down the stairs. It didn't do Nothing. anything. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I again went to the stage door and thought, I'm going to escape. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly something came up in me, which is always in certain important moments in my life. I said, you will not intimidate me. Mm. I opened the curtain again. You will not intimidate me. I said, you will not intimidate me. And with that attitude, I went on stage. Wow. And Clarence Williams and I, he played um, on March Squad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got the best reviews by Walter Carr and Stanley Kaufman. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then we went to, after opening night, there's a tradition where you go to Sardis. Of course. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you come in and then you're applauded depending upon how well you did. <laughs> and my wife and I went upstairs, and I thought, my God, this is all so fantastic. And then Geraldine Page, who was in the play, she played the female lead, came up to me and says, honey, those two ladies over there would love to talk to you. And there were two elderly ladies, and I went over and sat down. They were very charming. And they said very nice things about the performance, and I went back. And she said, do you know who they, who they are? I said, no. That's Lillian Gish, Lillian Gish and Vivica Linforce. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. That's a piece of American wow. yeah, theater and, and movie you know, tradition. Uh, Lillian Gish was one of the first stars, I yeah, think, of star. films. That's outrageous. Anyway, so I was then asked to stay on Broadway. Mm-hmm. and do other plays, but I had signed a deal with the Rat Patrol, yeah. and I went back here and uh, continued playing soccer, obviously, mm-hmm. and then went to Spain with the Rat Patrol in 1966 to the south of Spain. Yeah, you know what's interesting about, uh, if I can just take us back to stage fright for a second, that's a, like, it's a fascinating thing because people always kind of assume 
that you're good no matter what you're fine you're like mm-hmm. you're you're an actor you can be in front of an audience that's mm-hmm. part of the thing no. and uh, like a few years ago i did uh I, I had to work on an award show and mm-hmm. i went out to go present an award and i went out with a, a female actress who's right. been in tons and tons and tons of things yeah and her and i walked out on stage and she was shaking like a leaf right. and there were about two thousand three thousand people in the right. room mm-hmm. and i I was fine. I felt I felt like I was okay. Like I was a little nervous, but right. I noticed that she was nervous, and then I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be nervous if she's yeah. nervous. Like I'll right. I'll step up and be a rock for her. Right. We'll be fine." And then we got out there, and they handed us our uh, our envelope, and it was the wrong award. They gave us the wrong envelope, <laughs> no. and she no. looked like she was gonna pass out, and the whole room started laughing. Oh my God. And it it uh it turned into an opportunity where oh I God. as a comedian yeah. uh, Matt knows you know as a comedian you that's that's when you shine so I you, I started saying stuff to the guy backstage like what did you have them all just laying over the all over the floor <laughs> back there come on give me another one what else you got and this was and, right after no it was right before the Oscars mix up with it was the, right before the Oscars mix with up Steve with Steve Harvey one envelope. yeah with the wrong envelope so yeah. this was like. It, you know, people were freaking out, and it was a big award too. So they were really waiting, and then, uh, and and then it finally happened. But I remember getting off stage, and she, this this woman, when we got off stage, looked like she was a, going to pass out. <laughs> like she was so freaked out. And I, you know, it it kind of struck struck a chord with me because as you know, like in my own stuff, there's been a few times where I've had. Well, when you really, were on Broadway, really, you were. Kind oh, of I a had wreck. Horrible stage fright. Yeah. And uh, especially because it was during the workshops of the show. So every time we would do a big performance, it would be for money investors. Yeah. For, he was he was Shrek he in kn- Shrek the musical. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so I were and when I was working on it, there was like the, you know, there were days where you'd come in and they'd go, if this performance doesn't go well today. <laughs> We're not gonna get the 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 extra four million that we need to <laughs> put this show. together. Four million dollars <laughs> on the line, you know. And people were flying in from L.A. just to watch the workshops, and they'd oh give boy. notes and fly home. And if I if I cracked or I sang the wrong note or some some sort of thing, and if I sang the song and they the producers didn't like it, sometimes they just throw it in the trash and right. make them write a new song, and then right. I'd feel like it was my fault. Right. So the pressure was really really building, and what ended up happening is the the director and i went into like a little room on the side one day and he was like are you you doing okay you seem like you're a little freaked out hello yeah i was like yeah this is terrifying and he said uh there's a there's a drug that a lot of the performance a lot of the actors on broadway take uh. and it, it is um it's like a beta blocker which uh-huh. which stops you from being able to panic on stage really? and it like just caught it, it doesn't it doesn't affect you very much all it does is stop if you have a panic attack it'll stop the panic attack and oh, so oh, oh that one steep yeah 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 exactly <laughs> take a little, yeah it comes take, take a it bite. works great in a bong you can really <laughs> take a little take yeah, a little hit yeah just take a little hit you'll be totally fine so i tried it I tried it because are, are you they there, were telling me. Are you saying that there are PEDs on Broadway? PED? Performance enhancing drugs. Yes, there are performing enhancing drugs. And you and you had the opposite. I I tried it. Reaction. No, I was yeah. okay. I was. It was fine. But what I did notice is that it stopped making me 
the the joy that you get from mm-hmm. the pre- like looking at yourself in the mirror and going you can do this like yes. that adrenaline and yes. using that on that stage goes away. Yes. that goes that also goes yeah. away and so I stopped yeah. using it because I tried it for a couple of days because I was like maybe this will help but then I was like you know what no. uh, I'm I'd rather feel the tension That's and right. the pressure yeah, exactly. than than pretend like it doesn't exist because, because then afterwards you feel you overcome something. Yeah, absolutely. You know? If you yeah. and that's why you no. you got the reviews that you got yeah. is because you're you you know you you're, pushed you're, through you pushed then, through yeah. and that's uh, that's what's important. The most embarrassing moment for me, arguably, in public life, Aretha Franklin uh, was a big fan of my character on the show, mm-hmm. big fan of the show, and she wanted to present with me during one of the Emmy Awards in Radio City Music Hall okay. in New York, and. We went out together to present something, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to say something very nice about Bill Bell, who was the originator of our show, mm-hmm. and who I owe a lot to. And you know how the when you speak, they have these teleprompters in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's impertinent. I mean, I, that they still allow that at the Oscars is stunning to me. <laughs> this was the Emmy Awards. Tell the producers to go to hell. The hell what? If someone wants to speak, let him speak. Yeah. So it goes over half an hour. Who cares? So I said, and I and God bless. And I kept on saying Eric Braden, <laughs> Eric Braden, right? <laughs> Just your let own us name get right? off, yeah. right? Or finish. Oh. I said, and God bless Eric Braden. I thought I wanted to sink through the boards of the theater. I oh mean, my so God. utterly embarrassing. <laughs> wow. Never lived it down. <laughs> Man, oh that is phenomenal. Yeah. That is really amazing. Then the greatest relief I've ever felt, ever felt in my life. Yeah, I did fourteen Shakespearean monologues from nine different plays here in L.A. on a place on Worship Boulevard in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and. When you do that, when you study those 14 monologues and you rehearse them, you, re- you wake up at night, you go to the John, you sit, well, there's nobody in the mind to suffer this thing's narrow. Oh, no, no, wait a minute, that's okay. Now it's the wind of our discontent, may glorious summer by this. Oh, no, 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 no. And you begin to confuse them. Yeah, they and mix you up sit, almost. And you sit on the toilet and you think, oh, my God. So if you had any difficulty, <laughs> yeah, you suddenly do. It mm-hmm. flows. <laughs> oh, it <yeah>. just flows. <laughs> right. Anyway, so. No need for laxatives. Just the Shakespeare. Night, as the night was coming yeah. closer, it, I literally, for the only time in my life, uh, thought or felt what some people feel who go into a psychotic state, I think. Uh, I literally felt the walls closing in on me. Literally. Mm. And sort of saw things in a, in a tunnel vision. And then I sat in the dressing room, and you know, in the dressing room, when they came up, they said, uh, another 30 minutes, Mr. Braden, mm-hmm. and then another 15 minutes, and then another five minutes. And you get that feeling of saying, you know, I am fucked. And yeah. then you get this sort of feeling of saying, well, what the hell? Who cares? If I die now, I die now. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So, and you come out and you do it. And then while you're doing the first, this was Henry V, a model from Henry V. And in the middle of it, you say, oh, wait a minute. 
it's going okay. And then you panic again for a few seconds, and then it slowly takes hold. It it was arguably one of the most exhausting things I've ever done, and mm-hmm. scary things. Of course. I took the whole damn group, when I was finished, out to dinner, paid for it all, and then on the way home, I felt such utter relief. I loved L.A., I loved everything. <laughs> everything was just wonderful and beautiful. Oh, now, when oh wait, wait, hang on a second before you, mm-hmm. before you say anything, Matt. That, that is, that's amazing. Thank you yeah. for sharing that with us. I'm telling you. Um, but just like what, what Matt and I have to do sometimes, because we put on these massive, giant shows here in L.A. with mm-hmm. huge, the casts of all these different shows. We bring everyone out. And we bring out rock stars on stage, make them perform in front of our little audience and all sorts of crazy stuff. And I'll tell you what, um, the, the thing that, that always gets rings around in your head is, I did this to myself. Yes. Like, you put yourself yes. in that show. Exactly. That's your show. Exactly. You put yourself in the situation. Exactly. And you're like, why am I in this situation? <laughs> I mean, I, this is my own doing. You did it. And I'm yeah. like, there was a time I called Matt from the hospital. I was in mm-hmm. the hospital having a full-blown panic attack going, Matt, we need to cancel the show tonight. <laughs> we can't do the show. We have uh, Lisa Loeb is performing. Uh, yeah. uh, from uh, the, the, She's going to sing her song, Stay. Yeah. We have uh, cast members from The Office coming on stage to mm-hmm. do their their show. We have uh, the cast members from this show and that show and then a performance at the end, all these different people. And I was like, Matt, we can't do the show. We can, God, I have to cancel myself off the show because right now, uh, there is uh, 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 in downtown in uh, in it, at the airport, the LAX airport. Yeah, there are protesters. There are protesters at the airport <laughs> because of the the some the Muslim ban had <laughs> happened, and I was like, I, I, no one's gonna want to come watch a show. No one's gonna want to see a show, a comedy show. If if there's this very sad thing that's happening where all these people are very upset, I feel like I we shouldn't even do it, and I'm just gonna I'll just stay here in the hospital. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, Stephen. Get your ass that's right. down here. That's right. It's gonna be yeah. fine. And then we were fine. We and it was great. We were right. fine. Yeah. But the, the the relief that you feel oh, on the way home, man. you're like, oh, thank yeah. Isn't that the best? Thank, the, thank God in heaven. Well, yeah, right. it's like yes, we. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like you I mentioned. Never, I never slept. I never sleep better than makes after. you a believer. And, and you yes. mentioned like having yeah. a moment in the middle of doing it where you realize that it's going well, and you sort of have a <laughs> secondary panic attack. Because yeah. we both do stand up, and you record an album a week ago. Yeah, basically. a week ago. So we were we at the Ice House. We both performed, and it's. That happens a lot in stand-up where you're telling these jokes that you've written and you've done hundreds of times right. in front of the crowd to the point where you can think about other things while you're saying these words. And, so and you have that secondary moment where you're like, yes. oh, okay, this is going well. They like that bit. And you can make those adjustments and stuff. And that's kind of a fun aspect of live performance, I think, that but isn't get that to also, do. But isn't that it's interesting what you're saying? Isn't that also what, I, as an actor, I feel mm-hmm. when I... Uh, People say, "Oh, do you lose yourself on the role?" Never. Yeah. You are. You always have that third eye watching yourself, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah. yeah. And when you do something, you say, "Okay, th- oh, that went well. That was good. That was that's a good moment. Good moment. Good moment." And then when it's not so good, you also immediately say, "That was phony. That was yeah. not good." It's interesting, isn't it? And it's like it's so weird. All I can focus on, like mm-hmm. I've told Stephen this, I've done stand up for sixteen years. In sixteen years, I think I've been fully satisfied with my performance like five times. Yeah. It's and it's not that I don't do a lot of shows that go well, but all I remember is that one moment where I'm like, I could have done that a little better, and that's all I focus on. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's so it's interesting. A tricky, it's a so, tricky, so true. tricky yeah. thing. Um, now I. Uh, 
I know that at some point in in this career, you did some uh, daytime stuff as well. Mm-hmm. A, a little, you had little <laughs> little show, a little show, a little show that's been on for forty years. Done it yeah. for <laughs> about forty years now. About yeah. forty years, yeah. yeah a little you show know, you did for like forty years, yeah. What? Now, there's a ton of dialogue on there, right? Yeah. You're doing 20 pages a day, probably. Uh, I have done as many as 62 pages in one day. That's what? A- Get out of here. Because like you, you you're about Because like you were talking about, hey, I had to memorize 14 monologues from Shakespeare, which is fine, because those are things you have a long time to go, where they've been written for 500 years. But oh, my God. This, you probably got that, what, a, three days ahead of time? 60 well, pages? You, or? You, uh, yes. And now we all work differently. I go through it the day before, and um, if there are certain things that don't quite work the way mm-hmm. I like to work, we change a few things, but generally speaking, you adhere to what was written. Mm. You need to because we shoot with three to four cameras, yeah. and they don't have the time now to make adjustments yet. Yeah, there's like no second takes either, right? No, no, yeah. well, sometimes second takes, but rarely. And we now should listen to this. A nighttime series does between 8 and 12 pages a day. Mm-hmm. Titanic, about two pages a day. Yeah. And we do at least 100 pages a day. Wow. Oh, my dear God. Yeah, I'm serious. What? Yes. Wow. It's the fastest <laughs> medium in the world. Oh There's nothing like it. Acting on a film, so what? Big deal. I once yeah. spoke to a, a girl that I knew that was on Days of Our Lives, and I was like, I was like look, I'm not physically built I don't look like someone who would be on Days of Our Lives but if there's a janitor that kills someone let me know I'll come in I'll be the janitor that killed a guy or a Shrek or Shrek I'll play Shrek you'll go on as the world turns as the world (laughs) turn around (laughs) hurtful yet true hurtful yet true um, what, <laughs> um, what, what is that, that what's that gotta be like, man, to be, uh, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if you prefer a, a term like soap star, but to be a star in that sense, those fans are, I've, I've been to a convention thing where, uh, there, it was like a soap star convention mm-hmm. and people are crying oh, yeah. and they travel from all oh. over the world oh, yeah. and they, they have panic, they freak. Oh freak out when they mm-hmm. meet you is that is that they, what's that experience like they, for you it is a very humbling experience it's like comic con but with women uh, yeah. basically yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah i must say it it yeah. uh, i always had to fight not becoming too cynical in this business mm-hmm. and i guessed out on over 100 shows and did films and all that and i kept on being cynical about it i said what the hell am i doing this for <laughs> because when you make films on item television, you don't go out to meet the audience that yeah. you that you play to. You don't. Right, of course. So you become cynical. So what, what am I doing this shit for? And uh, when I started doing a soap, I was asked to come to an appearance up in the biggest shopping mall in North America. Happens to be outside of Toronto mm-hmm. at that time. And they drove you in to the back of the shopping mall where the garbage cans are. <laughs> I said, well, there are probably maybe 20, 25 people out there, uh-huh. you know, waiting to see <laughs> us. Yeah. And so we head into the manager's office and we sat down and they already asked for autographs in there. I thought, this is weird. Why would they ask for autographs? And then they asked, are you ready? I said, yeah, let's go. 
well, are you really? I said, yes, please, let's go. <laughs> what are you ready for? Maybe 30, 50 people, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we go through a tunnel. And in the tunnel, lined up on both sides, were a number of women grabbing, trying to <laughs> grab. And then as we got closer to the opening, to the big proscenium stage, I said, are you kidding me? Took my breath away. Mm-hmm. There were 15,000 people. Oh, my <laughs> God. 15,000 people. Wow. And in the middle was a glass elevator that was packed like sardines mm-hmm. going up and down. 15,000 people. 15,000 And it people. literally almost took my breath away. Oh, my God. Took my breath away. Oh. And then in the front row were some poor souls and wheelchairs and all that. And, you know, one's heart goes out and you go up to them and shake hands and how are you? And as you did that, people from the back started pushing rushing. to come near to yeah. you. And it's the only time that I was really panicked, I must say. And I said to the uh, fire chief, Mm -hmm. I said, let's get out of here. He says, we can't. The exits are packed with people. I said, I don't give a shit. Let's go box, hit, anything (laughs) to get through here. Mm -hmm. And we finally got out. And I called my wife that night. I said, I will never do this again. I didn't, I I don't want any part of this. So then the organizer said, we have to do it tomorrow again. I said, only if we get the local prison population as bodyguards. (laughs) or all the cops, or a football team, whatever. Or you raise the stage, mm-hmm. and they raise the stage, made yeah. all the difference in the world. And that taught me what we do, what you do, what you mm-hmm. do, what I do. We entertain people. Mm-hmm. That is the essence of what we do. Mm-hmm. And Marlon Brando, for example, was very unhappy about this business, mm-hmm. because Marlon never went out to meet people. So you, you sit at home, you think about this, you say, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. Right. What, what is the, you want to do something politically or philosophically or socially important. And yet the most important thing of what we do is we entertain people. Yeah. And that is what you learn on a soap more than in any other medium. Mm-hmm. I can go anywhere. I walk the streets of Paris. Yeah. And the normally arrogant French said, <laughs> oh mon Dieu, c'est Victor. <laughs> Bonjour, ça va? And it, it's, it's just amazing. In Istanbul, in Istanbul, Oh veiled women, suddenly you see them mm-hmm. blush under the veils when they see you on the streets. <laughs> wow. In Tel Aviv, on the, on the wailing wall in Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. standing there and the cameras behind us and this and that, and you know, obviously you overcome. In Jerusalem, you overcome with a uh, feeling of long, long history. Yeah. And you just sort of almost get goosebumps when you're in Jerusalem. And I'm standing at the wailing wall, and you write something, and you put it into the wall, right? Sure, yeah. And I see all these guys nodding up and down, and suddenly, Victor, <laughs> Victor. I said, are you kidding me? Oh I'm standing here <laughs> at the wailing wall. Wow. This juxtaposition is so absurd. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, we walked up the Via de la Rosa, where Jesus supposedly walked with a cross on his back. Sure. They came out of the shops. Victor, Victor. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, I'm dead serious. That's amazing. Wow. And then That's you funny. realize how far-reaching this is. And how far-reaching the soaps are. People want to be told stories. Mm-hmm. They love to be told stories. Mm. You know, in, in, in Israel, I mean, uh, Shimon Perez, I had a meeting with him. I was invited to the Knesset. And it wow. goes on and on. In Turkey, in Istanbul, the time the uh, prime minister or president was Madame Chilla. And she invited us to uh, her palace. And wow. it goes on and on. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
That is amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. That's amazing. So that this, so happy. this soap has given me peace about what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only do I make money, but I entertain people. Mm-hmm. And how wonderful is that? I can go anywhere. Go to the go, go to Harlem. People mm-hmm. say, "Oh, you mean?" So no, they the toughest characters. Look at you, hey man, Victor. <laughs> You're cold as ice, man. Shit, Victor, come on, man. And it, 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 you know, Muhammad Ali was a big fan of the show. George wow. Foreman was a big fan of the wow. show. Wow. It's just wonderful. And that gives you wind beneath the wings. Mm-hmm. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Hey, Matt, before we continue this show, I got to talk about something that is it, it, it's crucial to our show. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for this company, we wouldn't really have a show. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Zoom. Okay, Zoom recorders, the Zoom Corporation, they provide us with one of the damn coolest things on the market. What, what, are, we, what are we recording our show We're recording on? right now on a Zoom L8. Oh, this, it's so awesome. It's so cool. It's yeah. so beautiful. We can do anything with this thing. Now, Zoom uh, was established in Tokyo. It's based in Tokyo, and they have been equipping creators around the world, innovators in uh, audio equipment. These guys just don't stop. Whether you're a classically trained pianist or a run-and-gun filmmaker, they have a, the, the item for you, the recorder for you. Mm-hmm. It will fit in your bag, and it will fit in your budget. Uh, and we've gotten to record our show all over the damn world. Epcot Center, LA Convention Center, Ed Asner's house. Oh, my God. So cool. Yeah. So check out zoom-na.com. All right. Let's get back to the show. Now, tell us about you wrote a book oh, about boy. all of your experiences. So tell us uh, what what do you talk about in this book? Uh, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, but everything, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's from childhood to uh, growing up during the – I was born in 1941, so mm-hmm. – in the middle of the war, and uh, I just remember mostly bombs. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the town I was born in was ninety-six percent destroyed. Wow! And they threw five hundred thousand bombs over Kiel, K-I-E-L, alone, mm-hmm. because it was a uh, uh, they made U-boats there and, and mm-hmm. warships, and um, those were my memories of of that time. Yes, yeah, so you're growing up in post-war Germany at that point. Well, I was born during the war yeah. and then post-war Germany. Yeah. Right. The, so book, the book is called All Be Damned. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out back in 2017. Right. Uh, but it's a hot read, man. Definitely worth definitely worth getting and checking out. Yeah. Thank you. So cool. Yep. I actually did an audio version of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. I wanted to ask about that. You grew up in Germany, right. but you speak great English. Um, with no accent at all. When you first came to the U.S., did you have like a heavy German accent? Is that part of why no, you got those no, jobs in Rapid nev- Patrol? Or? Never was burdened with a German accent. <laughs> never burdened with that. I had learned British English and was mm-hmm. always very good at it. And um, had that more than anything. Was that taught in school there? Yeah. In your ether? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then they had some Brits come over. Mm-hmm. And the guy who taught me English uh, was a spy in England during the war. And had survived it and spoke very mm-hmm. good English, obviously, and uh, that's how I learned. Uh, wow! Yeah, because you you do have a little. There's like a little bit of a British accent that yes. that yeah. kind of rings around yes. in there, which is so cool. Makes yeah. it sound very sophisticated. Yes. You know, but real quick yeah. before we continue, I went to the uh, Wailing Wall mm-hmm. uh, when I was in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, and this is a quick quick thing. When I was a kid, my grandfather went and he said uh, all to, to all the kids. Write a little prayer, write a little something to right. God, and then and give it to me, and I'll you fold it up, right. uh, and then I'll just put them in the wall for you because he was going to Israel. So uh, then he went, 
and he put the note in. He was putting the notes on the wall, and he opened them up to read what they were saying. And you know, my cousins were like, "Please let my dog get better," or like, "Please let me get a A on my chemistry test," whatever it was. And then he opened mine up, and it said, "Dear God, why did the chicken cross the road?" <laughs> From Stephen. So when I went back to Israel, I wrote a letter, and that's hundred percent true. Right to get to and the I, other side. I wrote to get to the other side. Look, the, I'm so sorry it took so long to finish the joke. The point is, and then I like continued, like wrote up my thing. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful, it's anyone, a beautiful place. Does anyone pick these things out? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. They must. Uh, they, 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 they do. do. They, I believe they take them out, and I'm almost positive they. There's a book that's published of of all of the things that people have written in there. I, I think at some point, or otherwise, someone's just, done that. The wall would fall apart with all those things in there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, now let's. Uh, we we should talk about one of the greatest movies ever made, mm-hmm. Titanic. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Now I just I just rewatched Titanic probably less than a month ago. Um, It was on TV and I was like, with commercials, by the way, with commercials, (laughs) Titanic is like five hours long. Yeah, with commercials. Good God. So I was like, yeah, I'll sit through, I'll watch Titanic. It's been a long time. I haven't seen it in a long time. And uh, that movie does this amazing thing where it, it pulls you in and it gets you, you know, thinking like it's a small story. We're doing mm-hmm. a small story about two people and it's simple and this and this. And you forget you you literally forget that you're watching Titanic while you're watching it because you become so interested in the, the this a beautiful story, love this story. beautiful love story. And then suddenly it's the most horrific, yeah. depressing, it, sad ending. It's, it's amazing. In oh, that. my God. God, the, you it's made brutal. two movies. They made two movies and stuck them together, where they make the small love story, and then they made the towering inferno on water, and put that on at the end. So it's like you get your romance, and then yeah. you get a great disaster film. No one's ever made anything like which that. is fantastic. Yeah, it yeah. is a phenomenal movie. How did you get cast? How did how did you end up getting in the film? Well, and in, how in, did it, how did that start? Interesting story. I didn't want to do it, mm-hmm. and my wife and my son said, "There's a James Cameron film. You've got to do it, Dad." Yeah. And I said, but the part is worth nothing to talk about. John Jacob Astor. Anyway, I don't want to bore you with all the details. <laughs> no, 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 but no. I read please. about I read about John Jacob Astor. I said, this is a fascinating character. And he's of German descent. He was mm-hmm. the wealthiest man in America for yep. a while. Yeah. And uh, owned most of Manhattan. You know, but he, he's, he only you only have a few lines of dialogue right. in the mm-hmm. movie. Right, right. Right. So um, didn't want to do it. And uh, terrible casting director, I remember, <laughs> just an arrogant <laughs> bitch from New York. And um, she says, what are you doing here? I said, I'm asking myself the same question right now. <laughs> Goodbye, nice to see you. And I walked out. This was wow. a casting, little casting office of Warner Brothers. Wow. So I, do, I called the agency. I said, who the hell, do, don't you ever send me to this nonsense again? Mm-hmm. Not interested, okay? Four weeks later, would you please go again? Uh, James Cameron would love to. I said, okay. I went again. I said, she better be on time. <laughs> 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I, had, I arrived an hour early, read about John Jacob Astor. I said, this is a fascinating character. And I walked into the casting uh, office, and she was just as cold. And uh, she said, there were four or five lines they wanted me to say. I said, uh, what do you want me to say? 
where you can stand or sit. I said, just a little video camera. And I shut the line. She says, thank you. I said, no, 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 no. I said, keep rolling. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about John Jacob Astor. So I just told her what I had read in the mm-hmm. parking lot. Anyway, long story short, it was then fun because I had read about the character. It was a great yeah. character. Sure. And uh, they said, okay, a week later or whatever, they would love you to play the part. And I sat on the tarmac in LAX mm-hmm. on the way to San Diego. And that's what we filmed in Rosarito Beach, yeah. south of Tijuana. Yeah. And I read the script again. I said, what am I doing here? What, what is this? It's ridiculous. What am I doing here? So the plane didn't take off. There was something was wrong somewhere along the line. And I asked the stewardess, I said, do you mind if I get off the plane? I said, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, unless it's an absolute emergency. I said, well, I guess it isn't. <laughs> so listen to wow. this. We land in San Diego, and I thought, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I've been on so many sets for so many years. I just, what am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. So I see a sign amongst various people at the gate, Titanic. Guy with long hair, very disheveled. <laughs> so I grab I said, are you, yep, are you, so I said, yep, all right, we get in the car. Drive from the San Diego airport towards the Tijuana border. And uh, so he says, you're looking forward to working with the biggest asshole in the business? (laughs) Oh, my God. I said, I beg your pardon? Oh, man, that director is just a dictator in this. And I said, are you serious? Because I don't take kindly to directors who are like that. Mm-hmm. I just say, come here. <laughs> yeah. Stop that shit with me, okay? I'm out of here. So I thought, oh my God, this didn't go well. So we drive through Tijuana and on the way down to Rosarito Beach. And uh, driving through Tijuana is like driving through an, op- an oozing sore. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Dreadful. Dreadful. Yeah. How any country can have that, the first impression across the border, is beyond me. Yeah. It's a very are they out of their minds? It's a rough town. Please, yeah. So we drive down, go to Rosarito Beach, in a hotel, and I sit there. I said, "I've got to get out of here." So an assistant comes over and says, uh, "They would like you to meet the wardrobe department um, on the set." Mm -hmm. I said, "When? Well, would you mind leaving now?" I said, "Okay, let's go." We get to the set. True story. Wardrobe people come to me. A guy takes my measurements and all that. He says, so, good luck working with the biggest dick there is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I said, are you serious? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I said, are you? So I was about to call my agency. Another assistant comes and says, uh, Mr. Cameron would like to meet you. So I go to the set, and he couldn't have been more charming. <laughs> he remembered Colossus, the film I did, the yeah, film project, couldn't have been more charming. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'd met a few disgruntled employees before. Yeah. So you can never trust anyone's, you need to experience it yourself. Yep. James Cameron yeah. couldn't have been more charming, couldn't have been more welcoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a genius, as far as I'm concerned. I've never seen anyone, all the department heads, sound, uh, camera, every had such respect for him mm-hmm. 
they thought we learned from him every day. And so that is what made me made me stay. And the experience was obviously very worth my while. Mm-hmm. Then after I had died in the film, one of the scariest moments I have ever experienced in this business. And they, the assistant director came to me the, the night before. He says, James would love you to do this. But uh, I said, what does it involve? What does it involve? He says, well, you know, water will come from the sides. And then at a certain point when you turn, 150 tons will come through <coughs> the top. I said, have you rehearsed it? He says, no. I said, hmm. All right, I'll do it if we dry run it four or five times before. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. So we did. And then we did the scene, and then slowly the water fills up, and all the camera people, 12 cameras, all the camera people had diving suits on and oxygen <laughs> tanks. <laughs> and I said, shit, man, <laughs> this may be my comeuppance. So I'm supposed to turn and then suddenly 150 tons of water come to the top. And it's all filling up. What they didn't reckon with is that some of the furniture would come and loose and moored and start floating. Mm-hmm. And so I said, what happens, I asked before, mm-hmm. what happens when, I, when this comes in? And he says, well, there's a guy, you see him up there? He will dive in in case something <laughs> happens to you. I said, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, we made it. And... Um, I was scared shitless, to be honest with when you. When the water crashed in, yeah, what happened? Wh- where? What did you do? Uh, I you just inundated, and uh, then I barely escaped up the stairs. And uh, do, do you think? Do you think that that shit. fear that you felt in real life helped with that scene? Because your character mm. would have been scared shitless at that yes, moment, and yes. I think maybe that sort of helped make that uh, death more impactful. Yes, I guess there's nothing worse than than water and fire. You know, I really didn't scared. think that you were actually. I mean, I remember that shot. I was scared. To yeah. be honest I, I didn't realize that you were actually. I just assumed it was like a stunt room. guy at the I point. Honestly, where yeah. on the way up the stairs, this was just before Christmas. I said, "This may be the last piece of daylight I'll see." <laughs> yeah. Wow! Literally. Holy crap! Literally. Wow! And Cameron couldn't have been more charming. Couldn't mm-hmm. have been more supportive. It was. Oh my god! So that's mind blowing. And the man had. He had. He has. Balls of steel, I'm telling you. Yeah. So do you. Well, yeah. no, but during the filming, I remember, all the suits from Paramount and 20th would come down at lunchtime mm-hmm. because they thought this was another Cleopatra. You yeah. know, Cleopatra is what ruined 20th for a while. Right, yeah. Yeah, That's they were worried that this movie was going to be the biggest bomb of all time. Precisely. I yeah. So um, what, what, what's the, the, the guy's name from Variety who interviewed me? Army Archer yeah. would come down. He says, why are you the only one who keeps on saying this is going to be a success? I said, it's a very expensive soap opera. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know how, how successful yeah. they are. He says, really? I said, yep. So I finished. They weren't finished. I asked Cameron if I could bring my son and my wife down to the set after the Christmas vacation. And we did. Mm-hmm. And couldn't he couldn't have been more welcoming. And he stopped the scene, he says, come here. He brought me and my son and my wife into his trailer, and he showed us the first few opening scenes mm-hmm. with Celine Dion singing. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I got goosebumps. 
And I said to him, I said, you're going to make a fortune with this film. He says, man, I hope so. I said, you're going to make a fortune. Yeah. I mean, a boom. I, wow. It's a thing that's amazing with James Cameron is people continually <sighs> doubt his yeah. films. Yep. And they just outperform everyone's expectations. Yes. Like crazy. Like, Titanic, people thought this is going to be the biggest bomb in the history of Hollywood. Yes. Avatar, this is going to be the biggest bomb in the history yes. of Hollywood. And they just hit home with audiences and they just last and last and last yeah. in the movie theaters. We're like for, like Titanic was in the movie theaters for six months. Like um, it was yeah. like, you, it, I think I saw it in the summer. Yeah. Like it came out at Christmas time. I think I saw it in July that year is when yeah. I went to finally see it in the theater. Like it was just, was there continually and it was a great film. I had a great aunt who was supposed to be on the Titanic and her... One of her uh, axles on her wagon mm-hmm. broke on the way, and she had tickets. She had wow. she had tickets to to wow. go back on the back in Europe. Mm-hmm. But I'll yeah, I mean, uh, oh really? On the original? On the original? On the original. Yeah, the, yeah, no, no, on the original Titanic. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like when I watched when I watched that movie uh, in theaters, I was probably about sixteen years old, seventeen years old, something like this, and I. Oh, I, it was the first time I'd, I'd seen a movie since Follow That Bird, the <laughs> Sesame Street film, where I cried in the theater, where slightly, I actually got... Slightly different. It's a different film, yeah, yes. but it, that was a sad movie because Big Bird was kidnapped, all right? It was sad. I felt bad for Big Bird. And I was very, very little when I saw that. Big Bird would have done well in the Titanic. His head yeah, stuck out of the water. He would have been fun. okay. But yeah, I remember seeing Titanic and, and being yeah. like a teenager and actually crying in the theater and thinking like like oh my like i I remember i got up and went to the bathroom and cried in the bathroom because i was like i had no i had no idea how bad it was and you know which is you felt bad for that poor iceberg it got broken up but it's always a a fascinating thing though when you make a movie that you don't like you know always realize how impactful it's going to be and how long it's going to last for and what, you know yeah and it, it, it holds it holds up a hundred percent i crazy. knew leo dicaprio was a brilliant actor because in between scenes uh, when we stood together once he would imitate jack nicholson mm-hmm. and marlon brando but perfectly really absolutely to the t wow and I thought, this guy, this boy is a good actor. What was uh, Winslet like? What was Kate very like? nice, very charming. Yeah. You know, very, nice. very charming. Uh, Kathy Bates was wonderful. Oh, sure. And very sweet. And uh, otherwise, uh, I learned how to avoid the turista by having a tequila in the morning <laughs> before <laughs> breakfast and one at night before dinner. Yeah. I never got the turista. Mm-hmm. So I still have a tequila here and there. <laughs> Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. In fact, every day. Keeps your gut healthy. Yes, yes. exactly. Keeps I, your gut healthy. Yeah. Good tequila. That's the best. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, th- throughout the rest of your career, as you've continued, you have uh, you, you're constantly working on stuff. Is there anything that you're you've been working on recently that you're a big fan of? You know, the most disappointing thing uh, that I've experienced in my career was when I put together a film with George Kennedy and Sean Young and Armand Asante and, and Billy Zane and a film called The Man Who Came Back. Mm-hmm. And it was about the second half of the 19th century during Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And it had to deal with uh, the first labor strike in the South mm. and where the railroad workers and plantation uh, slaves who had now mm-hmm. um, been freed got together. They wanted to be paid a dollar a day instead of being paid in scrip, yeah. 
which each plantation paid their workers in scrip. Which you could only spend there. Precisely. Yeah. You can only spend in the company store. So that fascinated me. So we made a film. I got all these great people together. And when you're an independent producer and you go to distributors, they screw you. Oh, yeah. Period. End of story. Mm. That was so disheartening. Otherwise, I would have done more films mm-hmm. and uh, have not approached that whole subject again. Um, love doing it more than anything I've ever done mm-hmm. because I was sort of in control. And um, I loved the whole experience. George Kennedy, who played my father on YNR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was in it. What a gentleman. Is that the work you're most proud of? That uh, I would say most proud of and the most fun I've ever had. Mm-hmm in this business. As an actor to have some say in what goes on is so empowering and so wonderful. And you realize you know more about the business than you thought you did. Yeah. Yeah. You know more about directing and all that than you thought you did, you know? And because you obviously pick things up Mm -hmm. by osmosis. And uh, I loved it. I loved that whole process more than anything I've ever done in the business. Now, uh, like uh, you know, is there anything that you uh, before because we mm-hmm. we do have to wrap up? But uh, is there anything that you have not done in your career that you kind of would love to 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 make happen? I would have liked to have done what my son is doing now, writing and directing. I would have loved that. I yeah. think, yeah, I really do. And, but he's doing it. He's he's, kick, he's kicking some ass. <laughs> he, he, you can do he, it vicariously through him now. I, I, I do. Mm-hmm. I really do. Uh, he wrote and directed Den of Thieves. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. And Amazing. he's now mm-hmm. preparing a sequel. Mm-hmm. He's going to film mostly in, in, in Europe, I think. And But with, again, with Gerard Butler and O'Shea Jackson, who is Ice mm-hmm. Cube's son. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So what else would I like to have done? I must say... Uh, I'm very aware, very deeply steeped in, in history and, and the politics of today. And I must say um, that is one thing perhaps I would have liked to have done, you know. But then when you, the more you read about the shenanigans going on in the political campaigns, for example, of both parties, mm-hmm, sure. uh, it becomes rather disheartening in a sense. Yeah. But let me just finish saying this. Of course. As someone who was born in another country, who grew up in Germany after the war, and who grew up as a result of Hitler's madness. Sure. America has done more good in this world. It is responsible for creating a democratic Western Europe, and now Eastern Europe as well. Mm-hmm. It was responsible for beating the Nazis. The Americans and the Russians were responsible for defeating the Nazis. America was responsible for the Marshall Plan, which created a democratic Germany, a democratic Western Europe. What other country has ever done that with its conquered nation? No other country has ever done that. So America was wise enough to do that. It was George Marshall who did that. It then created NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, to defend Western Europe from attacks by the Soviet Union, who had serious intentions of conquering Western Europe. It created the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, to avoid what happened 
during the Depression in 2930. America created or was the driving force behind the United Nations, the creation of the United Nations. America has done a hell of a lot of good in this world. And to now retreat from that number one position in the world of guaranteeing mostly democracy. Now, we have made some mistakes. Vietnam, perhaps, Iraq, obviously, mistakes, no question about it. But overall, America's leadership is so vitally important for peace in this world. For the first time in the history of man, we have had 75 years of peace amongst the main powers of this world. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of mutually assured destruction. Hence, the notion of reducing all nuclear weapons to nothing is wrong. We haven't had a war because, precisely because, we know that we will destroy each other. So the end game is useless. Mm. Two things I have to say. Ronald Reagan, whose domestic policies I didn't necessarily agree with, he and Gorbachev are two of the most important men in the second half of the 20th century. Their willingness to talk about strategic arms limitations, to get together in Reykjavik and later on in Geneva, is the arch-capitalist, the arch-conservative, and the leader of the Soviet Union got together and got to know each other as human beings. That is what is vitally important. And, But for some people around this administration to suggest that we should withdraw and become isolationist is absolutely, dreadfully wrong. We need and the world wants America to lead. Despite all the copying and the criticism, the world wants America to lead and to continue to lead. That's all I'm going to say at the end of all this. This is a great country and it's truly the beacon and we are the, if people don't get along in America, black and white for example, Mm -hmm. they won't get along anywhere in the world. Sure. This in a sense is the laboratory of the world. So I came here as an immigrant, always been welcomed, Uh, great hospitality and your forefathers came from who knows where. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great welcoming country. Let us remind ourselves what is good in our country. Let us remind ourselves of the arguably the greatest confluence of intellect and practical thinking. Those were the founding fathers. That confluence of intellect and practical thinking is unlike anything, any time in the world before or since. Mm-hmm. So it's the constitution that's the bedrock of this country, and let us abide by it, and not misinterpret it, sure. as we so often do with the Second Amendment. Yeah. And what we should do is kick out all the Canadians like you. Ah, oh, <laughs> jeez. I was just having a, a conversation with someone this morning yeah. about being a, I'm, I'm a Canadian yeah. uh, with, with a green card mm-hmm. here in the U.S. I've been here m- almost my Most whole of life. Most your life, yeah. Uh, but w- my, uh, my father, when we were kids, well, before we were kids, my father had told my mother that he was born in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had lied to my mother. And then uh, and then they got married, and then he brought her to America with me and my sister. And um, and then when my mom... He, my he, mom said he, he told her that he owned Orange Plantation? <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, uh-huh. he did. Yeah, so he brought her out here, and then uh, uh-huh. he w- uh, my mom has two degrees. And he promised her oranges and sunshine. <laughs> yes. And she fell for him. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, my mom has two degrees. My father has zero degrees. Uh-huh. And my father wouldn't let her work. 
because mm-hmm. he was like, no wife of mine will work, right? Yes. And then I, at like, you know, 10, 11 years old, I got cast in a Broadway, like West Coast Broadway production of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, the, the oh, musical. Oh my and my father said, uh, only, I can't use the word on here, but only gay, gay kids would be... <laughs> In something like that, right? Uh, and so he discouraged me completely from uh, doing it because yes. he said, "You're, you know, you, you'd be, uh, you'd be gay if you were in uh, a musical, right?" That's right. So, uh, and then a, a couple of years later, they got divorced, and at the divorce, he admitted that he was also a Canadian and that we were illegal <laughs> aliens the whole time, and that none of us could get jobs. Okay, and so my, and that's why he didn't want you in the theater because that's why yeah, because I couldn't get no paperwork. Uh, there was no paperwork. I didn't have any any sort of social or anything to be able to do a job. No orange and, uh, and that's why my mom couldn't do the thing. <laughs> and then so then uh, it took. Almost 11 years after that to be able to get green cards to actually mm-hmm. work in the U.S. And during the wait, during the wait, <laughs> there was a time where I was about 15 years old and I was sitting in the living room with my mom and my sister. My dad was long mm-hmm. gone. And uh, there was a pounding at the front door and it was ice at the front door. It was the, oh, no the, the, the guys from immigration. Right. And they were like, we have learned that there are illegal immigrants in this house and we are here to arrest them and to right. take them and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And my mom and my sister starts crying and my mom's like, no, 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 no. There isn't anything like that. And they're freaking out. And there's a yelling at the front door. And then the guy goes, there they are. And then they pushed past us and tackled our gardener in the backyard. <laughs> no. And dragged him out and threw him in a in a oh van and drove him away. See, you're lucky. You and didn't. that is, uh, and well, here's wait, here's the little ending for mm-hmm. this. His brother had been hiding in the tree in the yard, <laughs> and so once they were gone, he jumped out of the tree, mm-hmm. and then he had no place to go. Whoa. So he stayed with us for a few months and <laughs> lived in, in the house for a few months until. Until he could find See, that, was El Chapo. You, that was El Chapo. Yeah, you, that was El Chapo. I was gonna say like, but that's like, a you know San Diego. That was in yeah. San Diego. Was saying, like you're lucky you didn't apologize time. for anything because then you said sorry and they'd sorry! be like, oh, sorry, he's a Canadian, he's not American, yeah. get him out of here. Sorry, <laughs> say tomorrow. <laughs> We're gonna figure it out tomorrow. Yeah. And so then they're like Canadian. So, yeah, when so you do yeah. when you do Shakespeare, you're like tomorrow, 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 <laughs> no. tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. So your mother, your mother fell for your father. He had the kavorka. Yes, your father had the kavorka. Yes, you remember that scene in Seinfeld? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Seinfeld is my favorite series. Greatest show of all time. We watch that every night before going to bed. Mm -hmm. And I love that whole thing about the Kavorka. (laughs) (laughs) You got the Kavorka. That's when when Kramer lured the Eastern Orthodox. Yes. (laughs) And Kramer then puts a lot of garlic around his neck. Oh, it is the best. And bathes in vinegar. And Jerry comes yeah. to the door and says, what the hell is it? <laughs> Jerry, I've got the Kaborka. <laughs> I love that. So funny. I love that series more than anything else. Oh, it's so funny. It's my favorite. It's the yeah. best. One time, one time we did, I did a musical theater show with uh, Mr. Jason Alexander. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason Alexander wore a tuxedo, but he also wore a uh, fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> and after the show, me and Matt and a couple of our friends go, go, Jason Alexander, wow, it was so great to do this show with you. Wow, what a wonderful time. And and by the way, the fanny pack mm-hmm. is hilarious. And he goes, what's funny about it? It's where I keep my wallet and my phone. <laughs> and we went, right, no, of course. Of course, the, he was not wearing it for comedy's sake. He was very serious about the fanny pack. You know, you know Newman, the, mm-hmm. the male. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Wayne Knight. He, he guest starred on our show. Mm-hmm. What? About a year ago. Oh. And uh, I, I just love that character. Yeah. yeah. I love all the characters in Seinfeld. I mean, it's just absolutely <laughs> brilliant. 
And um, there was a scene where he knocks at my door. Of course, my name is Victor Newman on the show. Mm -hmm. And I said, hello, <laughs> Newman. <laughs> this is amazing. Do you have uh, Do you have any sort of social media? Do you do any of that social media stuff? I have a website, yeah. anything like that? Twitter and uh, Facebook. And uh, now I learn, I'm slowly learning, what is the other stuff called? Instagram? Instagram. Yeah. Slowly learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, this. Uh, is, how do this people find you on there? What do they look for? Just uh, Eric Braden? I don't know. Eric I think Braden. if you look up Eric Braden Eric, on Twitter, yeah. it's, it's it's Eric the, Braden, the one, uh, the real Eric Braden, some bullshit. I don't <laughs> well, know. we will send this out to your, yeah. to your it's, people. It's hilarious. Yeah. Thank you so and much for uh, for having us thank in you your yes. home and for here. this interview and, it was so cool. You yeah. unfortunately drank a lot of water, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, I forgive you. You know, this is a water shortage. Yes, you know that. I'm in big trouble. Oh yeah, yeah, big trouble. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Nighttime Show podcast and uh, and uh, and and leave uh, comments and things like this. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to share it, Eric. Thank you again so much, Mr. Braden. Both of you. True honor. Yes. Thank, thank you. you very much, man. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Right on, brother. Thanks, okay. man. Okay. Oh.